Good morning and welcome to Sojourn. Glad you guys are here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. We've been walking through the book of Proverbs for several months now. Uh, once we got through with uh, chapter 9, we, we started switching how we did it so that we could handle Proverbs, I think, in a way that would be more helpful. Uh, verse by verse, if you went after chapter 9, would be shifting all around, and so we've kind of tried to take prominent themes from Proverbs and, and see what all of Proverbs has to say about those. And this morning, we're talking about words and our use of words and the tongue and the use of the tongue, and there's so much need here. And that's a good place to start as we turn to God's Word every time, as we turn to Proverbs, is, as we think about words and our use of words, is that we need wisdom. And so as we turn to the book of Proverbs together as the people of God, let's just stop and, and realize our neediness and ask God to help us in the midst of that. Let's pray together. God, thanks for giving us your Word. Uh, we would be fools if you hadn't. We'd walk around as fools. But God, you've given us your word, you've given us wisdom, that we might walk in the fear of the Lord. So God, we're asking for your help, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, where we're not walking in accordance to your goodwill, that you'd encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and God, that you'd be honored in us, informing us more and more to the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. And it's in his mighty name that we pray, amen. Whether we realize it or not, right now, all of us are completely dependent upon words. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. All of the universe, all of our lives right now are contingent upon Jesus upholding us by his word. God's words are vital. And when we look to the scripture, we see that we have a God who spoke. He, he chose to use language. He chose to use words. And, and that's a crucial part of reality. God decided to not only create, but also to reveal himself using words. Right? Those truths alone should play a huge part in shaping how we are to think and use words in our lives. Because where we start is that we start as image bearers of this one true living God who has chosen to use words and upholds the universe by His word even now. And we are to reflect Him, and to do that well, we are going to need wisdom. Because we are unlike Him in that we are not holy, we have fallen sinful natures, and we need wisdom to help guide us as we walk in a way that would be pleasing to God. And so God is faithful to speak and to give us the wisdom that we need to help us know how to handle words, how to use them rightly. And here's what Proverbs and wisdom calls us to. It calls image bearers to be careful with their words, to be careful with their words. See, the wise know the power of words, and they know that because they're so powerful, they are to be careful with them by both watching their content and by guarding their mouths. Now, Proverbs maybe has more to say about words than most of the topics that we're covering. If you start looking up the, the uses of, of how we're to use words and the use of the tongue, they, there's, there's lots there in the book of Proverbs, and it is given to us that we might hear and receive and be careful with how we use our words. And the first thing is that the, words, the wise take words seriously because the wise know the power and effect of words. If you look in Proverbs chapter 18 says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that death and life 
are in the power of the tongue. Hard to get more extreme than that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, there are serious consequences to words. What comes off the tongue has great potential. Could bring death, could be life. I don't think that necessarily that's saying that my words spoken to you could knock you over and take the breath out of you. But though we do know that there's a very real sense that words can be devastating. They can almost bring the effect of death and how much they devastate one another. There can be great disruption caused by words, great division, great damage all caused by words. Or there could be vitality, abundance, uplifting, encouragement. All of those can result as well, all in the power of the tongue. And so there's a proverb that I'm sure you guys have all heard. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And we just obliterated that. We need proverbs to come from God. Words can hurt or kill or make alive. The power of life and death are in the tongue, Proverbs says. And the description of the power of the tongue is prominent throughout the book of Proverbs. If you look in chapter 15, verse 4, it says that a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now, even if you're not a Bible scholar, you can start to pick up on, like, this is a pretty big image here to think about the tree of life. We, we may have heard of this. It was in the Garden of Eden. There was this tree of life. And, and so the image that this writer is painting for us in this book of Proverbs right here in Proverbs 15.4 is an image of almost like a restored Eden. And this, this image is communicating to us great power with words. Right? The tree of life was in Eden before there was sin. And then what happens after Adam and Eve sin? What does God do? He guards so that they wouldn't eat it. In other words, this is such a powerful thing that in your fallen state, you know, I'm going to have you go off limits. And yet it's such a powerful image, such a wonderful thing that it's, it's seen again in the book of Revelation in heaven. So think about the power of the imagery that the, this guy is writing to us. That a gentle tongue is a tree of life. In other words, it produces like life-giving fruit. Fruit, it's, it's plural. There's lots of fruit. There's tree and there's lots of fruit on it. And, and wall that grows on it can bring deep healing, deep nourishment, strength from hurt. And it can bring you back from things that have caused great pain. And that's what a gentle tongue can do. That's the power that a gentle tongue has. A gentle tongue encourages what the tree of life encourages. Life itself. Nourishment, strength. Words can also do other things. You see in chapter 10, verse 11, that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. A fountain of life. In other words, what comes out of it is is bringing needed nourishment, needed refreshment, needed life. You skip down to chapter 10, verse 21, and it says that the lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of sense. In other words, it's it's like a feast in front of us. It keeps us nourished, keeps us fed, can feed many. If you look in chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. And so here's what the mouth is. The mouth is a source of life. It, it, It revives it feeds, it's healing, it's sweet like honey, can bring good to the 
one's life. It has great power. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so this makes words of great value to those who are wise. If you look in chapter 20, verse 15, it says, There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. They're precious. So they're to be handled carefully. In chapter 25, Verse 11, we read that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. Now some of those images don't hit home as well. But I think the idea is clear that that wise words are like rare jewels. They're, They're fine craftsmanship. They're refreshingly cold air on, on hot days when the harvest is going on. Like if you've ever been out in the middle of harvest, it's in the middle of summer for us. Hot, cold breeze can bring life. That's what wise words do. An example of this is given in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 12, verse 25, it says that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Have you felt anxiety depression, things weighing you down. I mean, that kind of stuff can be like a black hole and just suck you further and further in. And you feel like you're, you're under this weight that you can't get out from underneath. Perhaps that's what he's speaking to. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but what? But a good word makes him glad. In other words, what's going to help you pull out of that black hole of crushing anxiety and ever-present depression? There's great power in words. Encouragement is what can bring you out of that. It can heal. It can bring life. It can nourish. It can revive. Think about the opposite scenario. What if no good word is spoken here? What if a bad word is spoken? A lot of those around. What will uplift someone who is being crushed by anxiety? How will someone's heart be revived? Perhaps they will be crushed. Perhaps they would be crushed underneath the weight of what's going on in their life. There's power in words. Simple encouragement can pull someone out of that black hole. So there's great power for life. There's also great power for death. As weighty as good words are, bad words are weighty as well. Chapter 15, verse 4 says that a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Perverseness, it's wrong, it's twisted, it's messed up, it's not how it's supposed to be. That kind of speech has the power of death. It can break the spirit. In other words, it's, it's, it's the opposite of tree of life where you have trees with limbs coming out and fruit coming off of them. It takes those limbs and it snaps them off. Like, you know what happens if you do that to a young tree? If you start snapping limbs off, all these, like, it can greatly damage the tree to where, almost where it's completely broken and nothing's left and no fruit will ever come out. That's... The power of wrong, perverse, twisted speech. It breaks the spirit. Words have the power to cut off the flow of life that should bring good fruit. Another description is given for us in chapter 12, verse 18. That says that there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Right, the tongue of the wise, it brings healing. But think about the opposite. It's like a sword thrust, it says. In other words, what we're saying here is that words are dangerous. They have power in them. Words can be really sharp. 
Very painful. They can cut deeply. They're like a sword. You need to handle them carefully. Swords are weapons. Right? They have the, the potential to kill. That's, that's why they're made. They're, they're made to, to cause death should it be necessary. They have that potential. And so any good swordsman would know that, that having a good sheath matters. Right? You, you need to know how to store that thing because it can kill. And so you don't want that thing to get in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and it bring death and cutting and pain to the wrong person. So you need to know how to put it away. You can't just do whatever you want with a sword and think that things are going to be okay. They're weapons. And the same is being related about words. They cannot be thrown around as if it's no big deal. They're like sword thrusts. Like if they land, they're going to do some damage. They need to be handled carefully. When I was young, growing up on the farm, we had a few different motorcycles, dirt bikes. And it's an interesting thing to learn how to ride that, and we ride all over the pastures that we had. But what we would do is that when we'd have friends or, or people over, inevitably everybody, you want to ride the dirt bike, right? So it's like, let's check out how we do this thing. And there's a learning curve to this that I probably couldn't do now. Right? You've got, you got to make sure you're shifting the gears, and you're letting out the clutch and pushing on the throttle, the, you know, all in the right timing. Or what inevitably happens is, is, well, there's a couple different scenarios, right? Someone's going to pop the clutch too fast and going to kill the motorcycle, right? That's a common one. Another thing that's going to happen is that someone's going to be out there and they're just going to act like, hey, this is just a little dirt bike, no big deal. And they're going to throw the throttle and drop the clutch. And then the, you, you've seen this several times, boom, pops the motorcycle up and they fall off. Like I've seen that happen so many times. Like those are the results that you often get because the reality is that when people do that, they have no idea what kind of power is underneath them. This is part of the reason why motorcycles are are dangerous is because you can go really quickly, really fast, and you can get in a lot of trouble really quick. And so they need to be handled carefully because you have to understand the power that you're dealing with. People will come out there, start the dirt bike, and have no idea what kind of power they're dealing with. And the same thing is done with words. We have no idea what we're dealing with most of the time. You can just tell in the use of words that we have no idea what kind of power we're dealing with. It's obvious in most of our lives that we treat words just like that. We have no idea of their power. And wisdom is teaching those with ears to hear that words have great power and they need to be handled carefully. Not flippantly and not just thrown around, not carelessly. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Any word could be a tree of life or it could be a sword thrust. It could bring healing or it could break the spirit. That's in the power of words. And so careless words, they're the words that cut, they scar, they wound. Slips of the tongue are slits of the knife. Words bring carnage. One author said it this way, that we need to see in our rash words razor blades flying out of our mouths right to the body of the other person. There's a good image for you. And those wounds and scars remain long after the words have faded away. And yet it doesn't seem around us that the way of the fool of carelessness with words prevails around us and in our world. One commentator said that for words themselves are at a historic low point in the advanced modern world. On the one hand, modern words suffer from inattention. Everyone is speaking and no one is listening. On the other hand, modern words suffer from inflation. And under the impact of the omnipresence of advertising and ad speak, words are nothing more than tools to seek products and agendas. And the highest and most sacred words can be used to give a leg up to the most trivial of goods and the worst of causes. Everyone is speaking. No one is listening. Modern words suffer from inflation. Church, words must not remain at an all-time low among God's people. 
Throwing words around carelessly like sword thrust has no place among the wise. It has no place among us. We need to hear the ancient voice of wisdom who would call us back to carefulness with our words, to not carelessness. We need to hear what God's wisdom says to us because the power of life and death is in our conversations. The power of life and death is in your conversations over coffee. The power of life and death is in your Facebook posts. The power of life and death is in your text messages to one another. The power of life and death is in our words. Are we being careful? Or does carelessness pervade our lives as well? Does carelessness characterize us more often than carefulness with our words? If life and death are in the power of the tongue, then we have to stop being careless. We have to start being careful. The body count of those who have been slain by careless words is already too high. It cannot rise anymore among us. But how can we do that? How can we be careful practically with our words? We didn't talk anything about which words actually bring life and which words actually bring death. So how do we decide that? Well, the wise are careful with their words by being careful with their content. What fills up those words? All through the book of Proverbs, there's this vast difference, a huge contrast made between what the foolish say and what the wise say. Their their content is very different. Here's a rundown of the content of fools in the book of Proverbs. What they speak, we've seen some of these, is perverse. It's twisted. It's not right. It's off in some way. It's deceptive. And you want to think about lying. Lying of the tongue is all over the book of Proverbs. So you're telling things that aren't true. The content of fools is slanderous. It's malicious towards other people, trying to drag them down. It's harsh. Maybe it is true, but it's too much. It's harsh. It can be boastful. It can be full of gossip. It can be antagonistic. Often in the Proverbs, you see people picking fights with their words and says, don't do that. That's foolish. It can be lacking knowledge. In other words, you're speaking to something that you shouldn't be speaking to. You're out of place in the way you're speaking in that area. It can be lacking knowledge. That's the content of fools. Now we need to connect that with what we just talked about, that words have the power of life and death. And so all of those things, all that content has the power of life and death. And so a little slip of the tongue, as we'd call it, can bring death. A little whisper of gossip can bring carnage. Speaking without knowing everything there is to know about the situation can have great power to harm. And I think that there is a problematic lack of humility towards the use of words that results in so much pain, so much hurt, and so much regret. Some of my biggest regrets in all the world are words that I have said. They don't go back in. But the wise are careful with their content. And because of this, they're, they're characterized by a content that's very different than the content of fools. You look in chapter 8, it says, For my mouth will utter truth. The wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. That's very different content than the content of fools. In chapter 10, verse 31, it says that the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. There's content for you. What's coming out is wise. It brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. 
So what doesn't naturally flow from someone who is wise is perverse, twisted, wicked, evil speech. Now that stream has been cut off by those who walk in the fear of the Lord. No, the wise, they're they're practitioners of righteousness, of right living, of living in a way that would bring honor and glory to God. And what comes out of those who have that kind of life, who are practitioners of righteousness, is acceptable speech, appropriate speech for the situation, speech that just flows from them. It's fruit that brings life and healing to those around them. It benefits those around them if they would hear. In chapter 15, we see some of those benefits. Verse 2, it says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. Look down in verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words, gracious words are pure. Again in verse 28, that the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked person pours out evil things. So the the wise has good content because not everything, according to the, the one who is wise, not everything is acceptable. Not everything you say is okay to say. They know that. It's gracious words that are pure, right? It's not any words that are pure. It's gracious words that are pure. And the content is making the difference there. And so the content matters immensely. Not just any word is going to work. And so here's the content of the wise. It's words that are true. Words that are righteous. Words that are full of knowledge. Words that are pure. Words that are gracious. Now again, let's take all that content and let's connect it with the power of words. That it has the power of life and death. They're in the power of the tongue. Think about what some simple truth can do in someone else's life. What a little bit of pure words can do to help heal someone that has been broken. What a simple, gracious word can do to someone who needs to hear it. What some encouragement could do to pull someone out of something. Think of what your simple encouragement could do to bring someone out of anxiety or crushing weight of depression. Or heal some deep wounds in their lives. That's the content of the wise. There's a story spoken of of Charles Spurgeon, who was in this big place going to speak there, and he was doing a sound check. That was back when they didn't have microphones like we do, and he was like, you know, if you're going to preach, you need to have a deep chest, because you're going to need to talk loudly. And he did have a very deep chest, and he could speak loudly. So he's going in there, checking out the acoustics, making sure everything was okay, and he says this, In one of the galleries, a workman, who knew nothing of what was being done, heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. Here's what he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just doing a sound check and just says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in one of the galleries, there's this one who's listening. He heard these words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. And he says that he was smitten with conviction on account of sin. He put down his tools. He went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. And all I say when I do a mic check is test. (laughs) Like, check. Does it work? Content matters. Even in something simple, like just doing a sound check, content matters. And we are people that know that content matters. And we are people that care much about content. Not just as Christians, think about your life. You are going to handpick your shows. And you're probably going to handpick ones that you don't have to watch commercials for, or you're going to skip those, right? You're, you're selecting the exact amount of content that you want to come to you. We do the same with food. Man, we are, people are, are upset about food all the time. It's like we are concerned, not so much like 
Marijuana, that's one thing. It's the chicken nuggets we're really scared about. You're like, just do a few searches and like, you're going to see a lot of, like, we're concerned. We want to handpick. I want to make sure that this is organic, non-GMO or whatever. Put your label on it. You are concerned for the content. But the content of our speech likely doesn't receive such scrutiny. And it should. We have to be careful. We are too content with mixed content in our words. When what wisdom calls for is watching your content carefully. Making sure that it's filled with the right things. If words are powerful, if they have, if the power in the tongue is life and death, and it is, then we have to be careful. We have to watch our content. So the question is, what, what content fills our words? And whatever that is, is revealing. Whether we are a fool or whether we are wise. Whether we are full of foolishness or we are full of wisdom. And so the wise are careful with their words and they're careful by watching their content. But wisdom with words also means watching the amount of our words. Proverbs is so clear on this. If you look in chapter 10, verse 19, it says that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Pretty clear? But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So you want to be wise? Restrain your lips. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. See, here's what the sages were doing. They were just observing life, and they started to see this direct correlation that everybody in all of time and all of history needs to see. Where there are more words, there is more sin. You're just like, hey, I'm watching this. There's a lot of words here, a lot of sin here. That's the correlation that they're making. That's a pretty sobering thought. Because most of our days, in one way or another, in some capacity, is filled with words. And where words are many, transgression is not lacking. All, all the availability and all the space where we could use words doesn't mean that we should. All that space doesn't have to be used by words. You've likely seen the movie Jurassic Park. It's been out for a while. In the first one, there's this Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, who is saying, when they're kind of giving a rundown of the park, they're kind of giving their assessment to Hammond, who owns the park and has created this kind of monstrosity. He says to him, he says about their, their work with DNA and these dinosaurs, he says about his scientists, he says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Right, the same kind of principle could be applied in, in so many areas, Right? Last summer, I don't know if it's still ongoing, last summer Sonic came out with a pickle juice slush. Like, I'm thinking, like, I, maybe that was, a, like, a feat of humanity to think, like, could we do this? Could we make this into a slush? But I'm thinking, like, you should not have been thinking about could you, but should you? And I, my, my answer is no. Like, why? And we need to apply that same kind of lesson to our words. A lot of words could be spoken, could be written, could be used, but should they? When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is prudent. Wisdom says there might need to be more red lights than green lights in your life in the use of words. Now what wisdom doesn't say is it doesn't say don't speak, but it calls for that kind of reflection of not just could I, but should I. That's what wisdom is calling us to think about. It doesn't call us to be mute, but it does call us to restraint or for the guarding of our mouths. If you look in chapter 13, 
Chapter 13, verse 3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his, mouth, his lips comes to ruin. Chapter 17, verse 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Again, chapter 21, verse 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. I mean, we... Over and over again, like restraint, guarding, keeping. Like there are times to restrain. There are times to keep words from coming out. There are times to guard our words by making them fewer. Right? Keeping your lips closed and not wide open so that you don't spew out the folly that is wrapped up in our hearts. All right, there's this Puritan pastor by the name of Richard Baxter, and he gave some practical tips to help Christian couples get along in their households and as married couples. And this, I think, is timeless knowledge. He says this. He says, if you cannot quickly quench your passion, speaking about being in a fight, yet at least refrain your tongues. Speak not reproachful or provoking words. Talking it out, talking it out hotly blows the fire and increases the flame. Be but silent, and you will sooner return to your serenity and peace. And if you're married, you need to take this one. And use it. Be but silent, and you will sooner return to your serenity and peace. Now, some of the best advice that I've gotten in my marriage is why say anything at all? Like, close the mouth that's spewing out things that are sinful and hurtful. Like, sometimes those jabs that you're getting from people that are good around you, or if you're your husband or wife, to like, while you're talking, like, stop, are really good gifts from God. Like, you should maybe stop. At least consider it as a possibility. And one author saying, repeating or or commenting on what Baxter said, perhaps one of the healthiest things you could do for your marriage is to ask for God's grace to speak less. We need to guard our mouths by restraining our lips. Keeping our mouths closed is okay. It can be good. But how do we know when to do this? Wisdom doesn't say, you know, don't talk here and and talk always here. It doesn't say don't ever talk or talk always. So what are we to do? Wisdom doesn't give us these hard and fast rules that answer every question or every scenario. And there's so many factors to take into consideration. There, There could be a different approach for very many different situations that could happen. Right, so if you played football, what you need when you play football is a mouth guard. And I don't know how it is these days, but what we used to do is we'd get these mouth guards and you'd start boiling water at home in a pot. And you'd take this plastic rubber mouth guard and you'd wet the, let the water get hot enough. You'd put that thing in there and you'd try to bring it out just long enough where it wouldn't burn your mouth, but also like to where you could still form it to your own mouth. And you'd put it in your mouth and you'd just like bite down on it and kind of suck it in to make sure that it conformed to your mouth. You needed a mouth guard that was fit for you so that it wasn't uncomfortable and so that actually it would help you so that not only your teeth wouldn't get knocked out, but also I'm, I'm, I think that mouth guards are key to preventing head injuries. So you need a mouth guard that fits your mouth. Like It seems like an important thing. It fits your contours, it fits your teeth, and all the lines you have there. You need custom fit guarding. And that's what wisdom calls for us in regards to our mouth. We need something that's custom fit. It doesn't give us, here's what you need in every scenario. 
It's giving us some like, here's some principles. Here's some things that the wise normally do. Here's can what, here can be what can characterize their speech. So each unique person, we're all uniquely made in the image of God. We have different knowledge levels. We have different skills, different talents, different abilities, different experiences. All those things can come into play. And each scenario is different. There's so many different factors. Who are you talking to? Where are you at? All these things can all come into play. And so what Proverbs does is it doesn't give us every answer to everything. It doesn't tell us, here's this custom-fit mouth guard, but it does say you need that. Here are some principles that can help that, right? And so what the wise do is that they consider things. They consider lots of different factors when they're speaking, all that can contribute to them guarding their own mouths. We look in chapter 15, verse 1. This is another one that could greatly benefit your marriage. In chapter 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so you could imagine the scenario, right? Here's a potentially dangerous situation with life and death on the power of the tongue to do something harmful or do something that will build up and bring life. And what the wise do is that they give thought to the scenario and they think about this. Now, what do I need to say here? All right? Weighing the options of not just what could I say. You could say harsh things, but you're thinking about what, what should. Now, what should I say? The wise are giving consideration to them, and then they start acting. It's not saying nothing that turns away wrath. Right? It's not always just closing your mouth, and then wrath will be turned away. Right? It's a soft answer that turns away wrath. The wise know that there are times to speak, and they speak in those times. So the situation is considered, and then the wise discern, right? Whether to speak, whether not to speak. Not just what could I speak, but should I even speak, and what should I speak? The wise are considering all those things, and so should we. Before we start letting our words fly, do we just stop and consider the situation for a second to think, not just could I, but should I? Should I say something here? Could I be of help here? Consider the situation. And remember that what Proverbs is trying to move us to is carefulness with our speech, not carelessness with our speech. We are to be guarding our words because what they could do is they could harm, they could stir up and bring harsh things, or they could calm somebody. So the wise are careful with the situation and they consider it. They also consider their audience before speaking. If you look in chapter 26... This is an obvious communication principle, right? But it, it takes wisdom to see it rightly. Verse 4 of chapter 26 says that answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. All right, good. Good principle here. Verse 5 then, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Like, okay, so don't answer him, answer him. Which one is it? Well, what the wise do is that they consider who they're talking to. Who's being considered here? The fool is being considered here. He's considering the fool, and then action is taking. Like, what kind of fool am I in front of? One that can receive this, or one that I don't need to answer? Right? The, The audience is being considered. Different types of fools might mean different kinds of actions, different kinds of words. That's a hard one. But the wise are discerning these things. They're at least thinking about these things. The audience has to be considered to speak wisely. We know this. We don't speak to the same, like the same thing to different kinds of audiences. That's, that's obvious. You wouldn't say the same things to a young child audience that you'd say to an adult audience. Maybe we could go on and on with that. The wise consider not only the situation but their audience before they start opening their mouths. They also consider another thing. In chapter 10, verse 14, you see this one. 
The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool brings ruin near. The wise are considering their own knowledge, and they're assuming at least some knowledge around them. So when they come and when they speak, they are laying up knowledge. They are actually help building in the right direction here. If you look in chapter 15, verse 2, this is right after a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, and the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. The mouths of fools pour out folly. If you skip down to verse 7, the lips of the wise, they spread knowledge. Not so, the, not so the hearts of fools. And so what the wise are doing is they're considering their own knowledge. Can, can I bring something of value here? They're, I want to spread knowledge. And if I can't spread knowledge, maybe I don't talk. Right? That's, that's what's being considered. Where knowledge can't be spread, the wise close their mouths. They speak less. The wise have no burden on them to say something. The wise have no burden on them to say something all the time. Right? The wise are not these people that are know-it-alls, that they know everything about every situation. Where you have that, you probably have someone who is a fool and not someone who is wise. And so it seems like there's a simple principle here. If you don't know anything, say nothing. Right? There's another proverb. It's like, if you open your mouth, you're going to reveal your foolishness. Right? If you don't know anything, don't say anything. If you don't know much, don't say much. If you lack some knowledge, say less. Trust me when I say that that's going to keep us from all sorts of damage among us. It's the mouths of fools that start pouring out folly and speak where they have no knowledge or partial knowledge. Those are dangerous things. You start speaking where you have partial knowledge, the power of life and death is in your tongue. Fools speaking with no or partial knowledge still have the power of death. And fools aren't careful with their words. They don't consider the situation. They don't consider the audience. They don't even consider the knowledge or the knowledge of those around them. And what happens? Folly spreads. Division, disruption, damage. We could go on and on. The power of life and death is in these partial knowledge statements that we make. And what wisdom is doing over and over again here is revealing our need of change. As we've gone through this, haven't you realized, oh yeah, I do that. My mouth is open way too much. I have partial knowledge to all sorts of things, and yet I act as if I know them all, and I talk like I do. Haven't we all been fools in many ways with our words? We've all played a part in the spread of folly. We've all listened to this deceitful thought that we need to speak. I have something to say here. If Proverbs wasn't enough to show this, then I think we have one verse from the New Testament that makes this abundantly clear. In James chapter 3, almost like a parallel to the book of Proverbs, the book of James in many ways, he says this, if, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That is staggering. All you got to do is just not stumble in what you say. He's able to bridle his whole body. And when we read that, doesn't that just level us? We've all shown ourselves completely inadequate to bridle our tongues. And so we've also shown ourselves inadequate to bridle our bodies. In other words, we've revealed ourselves as those who haven't lived under the good and gracious reign of God. We're rebels in the kingdom. We've rejected God's wisdom and we've gone out on our own. What can help us in this? Where are we to go to find healing? The answer is not a what. 
And it's not a where. It's a who. You see, there was one in Scripture who was called the Word. He was in the beginning. And this Word took on flesh and He dwelt among us. And He lived a perfect life. And He died a sacrificial death. You see, this Word, He didn't stumble in anything that He said. He knew the power of His words and He used them perfectly all the time. He was always careful to fill the content of His words fully with truth and with life for the good of others and those around Him. He used His words all the time for others' sake and for good and for life. And at times he used many words. He gave, us, he gave us long and lengthy discourses full of wisdom, full of knowledge, giving knowledge to those who hear because he considered all that were around him. And at other times, like before he was killed, he remained silent. The word was wise. Jesus knew and embodied wisdom. And he is the one who comes to us and says, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 says, He is the one who speaks peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. The Word has come, speaking perfectly. And here's what He offers out to us, peace. You're far off, you've messed up badly, not a part of the people of God, have no relation to Christianity in any capacity, peace. You're close, you've been around the church a long time, and yet you've screwed it up. Peace. This is what Jesus offers to us in himself. You see, the way forward to be careful with our words, to watch our content, to guard our mouths, is first to hear the peace from that word that is spoken to us. The the way forward is to first to hear, to hear from the word, to hear his peace that he is speaking to us. You see, he offered up his body and his blood that we might have that peace. We have to start there. Hear the words of peace. Come near to God. Get peace with God through Jesus. And then start watching Him change your word use. Start watching Him give you wisdom in all these areas where you need wisdom in regards to your words. If you're not a Christian, you need to hear the words of peace from Jesus. And our encouragement to you is to repent and believe. If you're a believer, you're meant to remember that peace that was spoken to you. We're meant to remember that sacrifice that makes that peace possible for all of us. We do that as a family by taking the Lord's Supper. This is a meal of peace. Jesus has made peace between sinners and God through His body and His blood. And we're made to remember that peace that He spoke to us and that He offers out to us. And so for all of those who have repented of their sins and have trusted fully in Jesus, be reminded of the peace that you have with God through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Come and partake of this meal. Tear off a piece of the bread. Remember Jesus' body that was broken that you might be forgiven, that you might be healed. Remember his blood that was poured out, that your sins might be washed clean, that you might have peace with God, not only now but for eternity. And in so doing that, you are proclaiming that not only do you have peace with God, but that that God who made peace with you is coming back one day to make all things right. So if you're a believer, come and partake of this meal in joy knowing what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you're not a believer, don't take this meal. You could take judgment upon yourself by taking this meal if you're not a believer. Take Christ instead. Receive the offer of peace that he has made out to you. And if you don't know what that means or looks like, please come find a Christian or a pastor. We'd love to talk to you what that looks like. But don't take this meal. Take Jesus instead. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together. God, thank you for making peace with us through the body of Jesus. 
For those who have trusted in you, they've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by that offer of peace, by those words that brought life into our dead and stoning, stony hearts. Now, thanks for your grace. God, we pray that your words would go out and would not return void for those who especially don't know you. Then they would bring life and healing from the brokenness and sin that is in their lives. God, we know that your word is powerful. You create universes just by speaking. And so, God, we're asking for your power to be at work. We're asking for your power to be at work in the lives of all the people here, that we might walk in the fear of the Lord and bring honor and glory to your name. And as we take this meal, be honored as your people come forward and exult in the fact that you have made peace with them through Jesus. Not something we deserved or earned. It was purchased for us by Jesus. Help us to eat and drink in a way that would bring honor and glory to him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.